Hey everybody, this show is brought to you by Smartwool. Smartwool makes merino wool socks and apparel to fuel your adventures outside because they want to see you doing what you love. Whether you're a peak bagger or a trailhead tailgater, Smartwool is here to make sure your good times don't get spoiled by Mother Nature. So get outside and get comfortable out of your comfort zone. See what nature has to offer, even if it's your nature just to kick back, go far, and feel good. This episode is brought to you by Elevated Surfcraft, shaping the way we ride frozen waves. Elevated Surfcraft, tailoring surf-inspired boards for snow. Pick up a board from their web shop at elevatedsurfcraft.com and get 15% off using the promo code DS15 at checkout. We also want to show some love to Ken Achenbach of Pro Standard. Pro Standard makes a stellar line of GoPro mounts, including the grill mount, the single most versatile GoPro mount ever made. Head over to ProStandard.com and be sure to use the promo code DARKSTARTS for free shipping at checkout. Just trying to be hyper observant of everything that's going on, you know, whether it's, you know, using my pole as like a quick probe to see, you know, if there's a crust down below, you know, just kind of getting a read on wind and temperature. Um, so there's just kind of that internal uh, computer that's registering just the here and now. Welcome to episode 47 of Dark Starts, your backcountry splitboarding podcast. In this one, we talk with Corey Stecker of Smartwool. Corey's been riding since 1988. Originally from Queens, New York, he landed in Montreal, Quebec via Colorado and Europe. Splitboarding and the outdoors are just a part of what makes Corey the manager of getting after it. So grab a poutine and a frosty Canadian brew and listen in. Let's drop in with Corey Stecker outdoor enthusiast and man that gets after it so Corey, tell us a little bit about your weekend you just uh you're coming back from a cabin trip that's right it's sunday evening um i spend my weekends out at my cabin so i'm i'm based in montreal my cabin's about an hour and a half to two hours east of of the city right on the quebec montreal border uh or what a quebec vermont border sorry um so spent the weekend touring, found a new zone, nice. super, super close to, to my cabin, um, which I've had my eye on. I've hiked it in, in the summer, but finally it filled in and oh. actually was, was better than I had expected. Um, and this season, you know, with, with the pandemic, the, uh, the amount of touring in the area is just bananas. Like it's That's a complete gong crazy. show. Yeah, so so you kind of have to stay one step ahead of like the maddening crowd and mm-hmm. find and unlock new zones. So right. it the mission was a success, and then um, I actually got a fun box in my driveway. So we sessioned it, me and a couple of friends, socially distanced, and you know pretended we were eighteen year old jivers again. Nice, I love it. I love it. Love it. So yeah, it was awesome. And then today was just. Um, kind of fitness touring up up the resort before it opened and in a couple of laps on the chair so man it was good that now i'm good. back 
back in the city preparing myself for a week of Zoom calls and, <laughs> and <laughs> stuck indoors. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Well, thanks a lot for coming on the show, man. We're really It's been a great uh, connecting with you and really stoked to have you on and talk. And Yeah, man. Really appreciate your time today. And hopefully we can get some insight out of you and uh, dig up some good old tricks and tips for the fans. For sure. I mean, it's an honor. I've been listening to you guys now for a few months and um, just loving what you're doing, you know, building the community and um, welcoming new people in and letting them learn. And, you know, for me, that's that's the most exciting part about what you're doing is just is just turning people on to all of the tips and tricks um, from the never evers to, to, you know, more experienced folks. So kudos. Well, we're get, I'm going to be a little bit selfish. It's because I want to learn. So everybody else gets to listen in. Sorry. <laughs> That's all good. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a share thing, man. It's, it's how it goes. You got to learn and learning in my side of the fence helps everybody else learn. And, you know, we're hoping to have the ability to uh, get some questions coming in from people and stuff they want to hear and some other stuff. Actually, what one question that just came up actually recently was a gentleman wanted to know, you should ask your guests what they listen to on the up, what they listen to on the way down, you know, maybe we should create uh, a little um, Spotify a playlist that uh, we share and then uh, we'll feature the guest's playlist. Yeah. There you that's, go. That's what he was talking about. Tyler was talking about that. Yeah. I would say like what I listen to on the way up and the way down is just really the voices in my head. If that's like a schizophrenic response, but you know, it, it's trail time is just this, this moment of being present mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. um you know some of some of my most creative thinking happens when i'm just walking so nice. um i don't yeah so i listen to i listen to my i listen to my thoughts that's, that's I usually, my playlist I, I usually can't hear my thoughts over the sound of the blood rushing through my juggler because I'm working so hard. <laughs> it's like a, it's like a whiz, whiz, whiz. <laughs> Only mine's like whiz, 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 whiz. Right. I yeah, mean. no, I get entirely what you're talking about. Sometimes I get that song stuck in my head. Um, yeah. You know, that just goes over and over. Like when I hike the Appalachian Trail. I figured out all the words to Mercedes Benz by Janis Joplin. It took me <laughs> fucking weeks, man. <laughs> but, nice. Did you, but it, go ahead. There was no Walkman or anything, but yeah. It and and it'll stick with you for the rest of your life. Like, that's, that's right. Uh, oh, never forget. It now. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a I'm a listen to a music kind of guy when I snowboard and split and all that fun stuff yeah i you know what i like listening to tunes on the way down but on the way up now i think i'm with Corey on that i'm either thinking or uh talking with other people on the track or uh just listening just listening to what's going around Man, i just want to shut that little voice up on my side of the fence <clears throat> i know exactly what you mean chad a little voice <laughs> management is what i do shut the fuck up i don't believe what you're telling me because i can do the opposite because I haven't controlled mine. Mine's still ang angry and negative, but we're working on that. So, yeah. So, how long have you been out uh, touring in your neck of the woods? Let's see. So, um, uh, I grew up on the East Coast. So, right. born and raised in New York City area. Yeah. And um, started snowboarding probably like 1988. Nice. Um, Same here. And, you know, when it came time to pick a university. I picked a state school that was closest to the mountains. So I, I went upstate to Albany, 
you know, mm-hmm. kind of a stone, yep. stone's, stone's throw toss from Vermont mm-hmm. and, and really snowboarded my way through university. Um, so once I, once I graduated, I headed out to Colorado, spent the, the, you know, probably most of my twenties in Colorado, whether up in Breckenridge or Boulder down in Denver, um, moved back East early thirties to Vermont, spent a couple of years in Vermont and I've been in Montreal now for, for 15 years. So kind of moved around, yeah. but, uh, Montreal has been home and, uh, you know, I, I'm kind of lucky because, you know, in a non-pandemic life, I was traveling quite a bit. So I, I typically travel about 30% of the time for work. Um, so I'm, I'm bouncing around and, and kind of fortunate in that respect. I'm hoping to do the same thing with the podcast. I'm hoping this yeah, takes you, us around the world. This is the next venture is, uh, you know, conquering the rest of the world, talking to yeah, awesome, epic you, people. You should do it like on location at different huts that's, and all types. It would be amazing. That's the plan, man. Yeah, Xavier, we're coming for you, buddy. Yeah, if you're not listening <laughs> yet, you're going to hear it. <laughs> but yeah, that's awesome. So you've done some touring. You've done some moving around. I, you know, I love Montreal. I, I've been there, got a handful of times, but uh, it's, I don't know, that place is just, it's magical. I just love it. It's always something cool, something new. The funniest thing that stands out my stands in my mind the most is when we used to do um, the uh, back in the nineties when the snowboarding ski uh, had their buy and sell time, right? All the buying, all the buyers would come together in Montreal. Oh, the NSIA. The NSIA, yeah. that was it called? Yeah, <clears throat> we'd all go partying. We'd go in these cabs, go down into Montreal and old old Montreal, and the cab drivers would fucking pass out on a red light. <laughs> you're sitting there tanked, right? Just drunk, trying to get back to your hotel room. And you're like, it's green. We're still sitting here. And you're like, dude, <laughs> give them a smack in the side of the head. Like, get up. And then, as you know, Montreal at night, red lights are optional. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the people just fucking zoom through the red lights. Like, if you don't, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting down there. I'm sure that hasn't changed. Yeah, Montreal br- drivers are, are are just brutal. Yeah, um, you know Montreal's a great city. You know, culturally, yeah. you know, rest, restaurants, oh, nightlife. It. It's yeah. it's got all of it. You know, one of the nice things about it is it's such so easy to escape the city, and within you know half hour, forty five minutes, you know, you're you're in the country. Yeah. Um, so it's great. You know, I think as as I get older, I I. I'm definitely migrating more to the mountain country lifestyle. Um, I, I love the city. I appreciate it. But, you know, what energizes me is is more and more time spent, you know, in the woods. So, um, you know, I live this kind of dichotomy of like city life and, and then full on unplugged, you know, no Wi-Fi, no cell service, recharging. So it's, it's kind of this interesting balance that I'm a tightrope that I'm walking. I love it. That's very inspirational for me because I need to do that. I need to refresh, replug, re-energize. I've just been so oil and gas for 15 years and go, 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 go. It's just it's time to go away. It's time to go and hide. Have that ability. Yeah. yeah. Grand Prairie is definitely oil and gas Ugh, territory. It's in, your, it's in your face 24-7. Even though I haven't worked since March of last year. <clears throat> Um, hey, you work, you're working right now, aren't you? Oh, dude, this is not work. This is fun. Love it. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's right. You know, 
that's when you know you found the right thing, wow. right? So, man, the hustle behind the podcast is so much fun. I have so much fun meeting rad people every single day and connecting, and it's just man, blessed. That's all I can say. People like yourself totally. as well, totally. Yeah. So let's dig in a bit more of uh, so. Give us a little history about you know where your background is in snowboarding. So it started in '88. Sliding on snow. Let's talk about sliding on snow. Yeah. When when was the first time? How was it? What was it? All right. And then let's yeah, yeah, migrate yeah. to snowboarding and sportboarding. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So first time sliding on snow. So I was my dad's excuse to go skiing. <laughs> and and mind. so at like six years old, he took me to this little ski hill in northern New Jersey um, called like Crag Cragmere. I don't I don't even think it exists anymore. But um Right after lunch, I was having so much fun, and I took a fall, and I broke my leg. First day out. Oh, oh. no. <laughs> yeah. And it didn't so dissuade he, you. I love that. Well, you know, the next year, like, you know, I'm recovered, but psychologically, like, we would wake up and get ready to go to the ski hill, and I would vomit. I would be all nervous. And, but <laughs> your, just, your, just, new, your New York mom must have been like, what are you doing to him? Totally. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> But I knew, I knew that I loved it. Like that, that first day, I just knew that this, this thing of like sliding down and having that like freedom was, was magical. So, you know, that just became our, our, our weekend ritual. My dad and I would pack up the car. We would go to, you know, at that time it was Vernon Valley, Great Gorge, which now is Mountain Creek. Um, it would be an hour and a half drive. We would spend our Saturdays there. And then we would do longer trips, like weekends up to Vermont, things like that. Um, at the same time, I always lived about 15 minutes from the beach. So in the summer, you know, I was just kind of this beach rat, whether it was like skimboarding, bodyboarding, and then surfing, you know, it was just this connection to nature. And so in around 88, yeah, 88, you know, I saw this burden ad of this guy do, I, th I don't, maybe it was Mark Heingartner doing a like a suitcase method down at Stratton. And um, so I took a lesson at the Hill in Jersey. And then about a couple of weeks later, we did a long weekend at Stratton. And my dad, like, it was a dream come true where he signed me up for a snowboard lesson, rentals, all of that stuff. And man, by lunchtime, I'm turning both ways oh. and... It was like, oh my God, this is great. So that afternoon we drove to the Manchester, you know, Burden factory. That was when they were down there. No. And and I, you know, I got a Burden Elite 150. Oh. And the it black was, and red one? It was the one, it was like the yellow and pink splatter painting oh, yeah. looking one. Yeah. Um because I had the same and, one. I had the black and white one. Or black and red one. Yeah. So, you know, that was just like, all right, I'm going to transition from like this ski thing that I was doing and just start focusing on snowboarding. Mm -hmm. So I had like these like Timberland version of Sorel's <laughs> and I had the Megaflex three strap binding because I had no support in the boots. Right, and, right. um, you know, all of a sudden, like I'm, I'm drawing snowboards on my, my, uh, loose leaf, like notebooks at school. I have stickers, like I'm, you know, the, the wall in my bedroom is plastered with, you know, ISM and trans world ads. Yeah, dude. Um, and so like I would surf in the summer 
and then I would snowboard in the winter. Um, so that's, that's how I got my start. Then when I went to university, I became the president of our snowboard team slash club. And that was kind of an interesting way to understand the politics of business where it's like, okay, we got to raise money. The school's going to then give us money. We've got to find members. We're going to throw parties to raise more money. Then we're going to buy snowboards and trampolines and all types of stuff to have more fun. And it was like this, you know, this engine that you just fired up to, to, to just have fun. Um, That's awesome. Dude, it sounds like podcasting. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So, so I, I would, I would be, I would be riding like 60 days, uh, winter through university. I was also like a snowboard instructor a couple of years in, in the, like the, the last few years of, of school. And then once I finished, um, I headed out to Breckenridge and, you know, rented a condo with like 12 other people living the dream, eating, eating ramen and craft dinner. Um, got a job at solid snowboards. So I was pressing snowboards oh, in the shit. evening. Nice. Yeah. Did that for a couple of months. And then one, once the snow started falling, I got a job at the mountain as an instructor and then turning screws at a rental shop. So, um, yeah. So th let's see from there. Um, did you ever, did you ever do any competing? Like, yes, I did. So, so in university, I did a whole bunch of green mountain series type stuff. And that was back in the day when you would be multidisciplined. We would race like GS in the morning and slope style in the afternoon. So I was riding like hard boots in the morning, switching over to freestyle. Um, and then in like 90, probably 93, 94 is when border cross started picking up steam. Yeah. And that was like, oh, I can do this. Yeah. Like, I, I, I get it. Like, from a speed perspective, from just the, the physicality of like, I'm going down this course against three other guys and I want to be the first one down. Um, it was way more tangible to me than, you know, the slope style and the half pipe type yeah. stuff. Um, I, yeah. I always looked at border cross, like, you know, those old ski movies in the 80s the like Chinese downhill where they used to beat <laughs> oh, the totally. shit yeah. each other hot dog <laughs> Chinese yeah, down oh that was a classic right? movie <laughs> right? uh, that was a, a huge influence on my life yeah no, no, dude yeah exactly dude we all watch that like, it's like hot tub time <laughs> machine but the real thing yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah as soon as I hear border cross I hear like Chinese downhill it's like beat Chinese the fuck downhill what, each man for himself that's it totally yeah dude and then and then when I when I lived in Colorado I was still competing a bit but then border cross courses got super crazy yeah dude you know and it was you know and at the same time I'm riding Berthoud Pass and Loveland Pass and you know getting a taste of real snow and powder and I was like all right you know what I'm not gonna be a pro snowboarder I'm not gonna win against these guys that are like training yeah I'm just gonna go free ride so I had this short-lived competitive dream and then it was just, you know, I, I just want to, I just want to ride. Um, so from that point, then, you know, I, I did a little bit of grad school, but during grad school, I was managing a snowboard shop in Boulder, um, powder tools. And that was really the start of my career in the industry. So, 
um, dropped out of grad school to pursue, just follow my passion of, of playing outside mm -hmm. and, um, then became a buyer for IntraWest. So IntraWest, if you remember back in the nineties, owned like 6 million resorts from yeah. Whistler yeah. to Copper and everything in between. Yeah. Um, so I was buying hard goods, skis and snowboards for, they had a chain of, uh, ski and snowboard rental shops in Colorado, Utah, and California. So I was, I was, you know, buying all of the, the, the rental gear, mm -hmm. which was kind of cool. Cause I got to, I had to test everything out oh, nice. and, you know, I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to, to gear. So to, you know, to travel all over the place to, to ride with, you know, different designers and reps and things like that was, was really yeah. quite cool. I hear you. No doubt. I hear that. Yeah. That was my dream in my 20s when I worked at Campmore was I wanted to be a buyer. But the only way I was going to get that job is if somebody quit or somebody died. And nobody was quitting. Because <laughs> like, so it was such a cool gig to have, man. It was like the you, best job to you have. You needed to hire some guy to New York to fucking knock out somebody. <laughs> hey, yo, Tony. Can you, Tony, can you hook this up? <laughs> That's right. I totally. To, I need to go up in the, in the ranks here. Yeah, dude. I, I totally get that because in my, my 20s as well when working for Coosport – Working and building, designing snowboards, you know, I knew nothing, but man, it was so exciting. <laughs> That's all I can say. I, 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 I used to buy a ton of wax from Ron at yeah. Q Sports. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, so, I mean, I, I, probably around the same time, we may have been spoken to each other on the phone There's back no then question. too. It Who was, knows? I was there from 93 till 1998, 99. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I, think, I think one of the ir ir ironies to your story is how you ended up being a buyer for IntraWest. And IntraWest ev eventually bought Mountain Creek, which totally. used to be Vernon Valley Great Gorge. That's fucking yeah. where you started. So that's yeah. that's pretty awesome. Man. Well, well, the other irony is, you know, I, I mentioned how I broke my leg the first day that I went skiing. So my son's first ski lesson, he started skiing when he was two, took his first ski school at five. He fell off the chairlift Oh, at his first no. and he broke his leg well he didn't but oh. then he he did he did a full recovery and a year later i took him out for like opening day and he broke his leg oh fuck Dad. so he's had like these catastrophic ski yeah. accidents but he's 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 ripping he's having a ton of fun it's so a rite, um, it's a rite of passage in the stacker well, family <laughs> yeah and, and and honestly i don't think you know, I don't think he has a choice because that's what, that's, that's what we do, you know? Um, okay. All important question. Um, did you start your son skiing? I did. Okay. Uh, in, in, <laughs> Bad. well, actually, actually Bad the Corey. first, the first couple of years he did both. So we had like a little 90 centimeter, you know, burden kind of like riglet that's, board or whatever they call it. That's Darren style. Yeah. Darren did the same thing with his kids. And then, you know, he was skiing um, and he's just, you know, I think kids always want to do the opposite of what their parents do. And so I think that's why he's, he's stuck with the ski thing. And I'm, I'm cool with it. Like I have no, you know, I, I have full respect for skiers and, you know, we're doing the same exact thing oh, essentially. Yeah. yeah. So, um, oh, you yeah. know, as long as, Mad yeah, as long Mad skills on some of the, a lot of these skiers. Sorry to cut you off. I just, yeah, I did the same thing with my kids. You know, like I grew up skiing. I started skiing when I was three. 
um, didn't start snowboarding until I was 32. Give you an example. Um, yeah. But uh, when my kids, and that's when I started having my first kid, and then uh, Mountain Creek was where I grew up as a snowboarder, really, from 32 on. And uh, so as my kids grew up, that's what I did. I had a set of skis and a little 95 Razi Samurai or something like that, I think it was called. And, uh, yeah, just gave my kids the choice. But they all went snowboarding. That's what they all do today. So Nice. But I would have supported either way. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> my kid no, had no doubt. Like his, as, as long as they don't telemark, then they're cool. Oh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You you did that on purpose, man. I did that on. Purpose. <laughs> I love the telemark turn, dude. I love it. You know, it's interesting. You know, like ski touring stuff has gotten so good that there's really no point to tellying anymore, right? Like there I agree. was a point. There was a point in time where that was like the efficient well, means that was, of mountain travel. Yeah, that was the backcountry tour. I mean, that's exactly. I mean, when I worked at Camp Moore, the uh, the manager of the store. This is back in the nineties, uh, mid nineties. Um, the manager of the store he was a telemarks here, and he would take a tour out west every winter. He was gone for a month, and he would come back with all these VHS tapes of all this ride and just dudes getting slashed like crazy, just. Pow shots in the face like nuts. And I was working in the ski department. I was the guy mounting all the touring skis and just watching all these videos all day long. Like, and that was pretty much the essential because fat skis with, uh, with, um, you know, capabilities to go touring just weren't around at that time. Exactly. Yeah. I, I dated a girl when I was living in Boulder and she was a tele skier. So she, you know, she introduced it to me and I actually did it like a bunch for, I don't know, maybe two seasons. And honestly, it's just making toe side turns down the mountain. So you're doing a toe side turn to switch toe side turn. Um, so it's, the technique is actually kind of similar to snowboarding. Um, which is, which is weird, right? You don't, you don't really figure that but you don't account skiing turns with snowboarding turns right yeah yeah love it so uh so when when did you first get into the back what was your first taste of backcountry was that when you were going to college in colorado or um let's see i the season that i lived in breck um you know we would we would ride Loveland Pass and Berthid and stuff like that. And then I remember doing a snowcat trip back in behind a basin, this area called like Montezuma. Okay. And that was where like, all right, you get out of the cat and it's completely quiet and you've got a powder field in front of you and it's heaven on earth. Um, so all of a sudden my perspective of what snowboarding was quickly changed. You know, it was no longer relegated to riding lifts and and doing kind of this hamster wheel type of thing but there's just this expansive amount of terrain to explore so you know back then like you know split boards it was maybe some volet kits and things like that but really archaic um and and as the the equipment progressed you know it was kind of this perfect storm like so i've started i split started splitboarding about 12 years ago and it was when, um, you know, I, I, at that point I was getting into trail running. So I was enjoying the, the suffering on the up. I was getting bored with 
East, small East Coast resorts and just riding lifts and riding back down. Um, and then I just saw that touring equipment was getting so much better. And all of a sudden it was like, wow, this is the solution for keeping things exciting and, you know, injecting a, the aspect of exploration into it. Um, and turning it more into quality instead of quantity. Mm -hmm. And since then, you know, my average percentage of days on the hill, like has grown like away from the lift. So now I do, you know, probably 70% of my season is spent away from the resort and just touring. Um, glorious. Yeah. It's, 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 it's been awesome. I'm looking forward to making that heavy change like you have percentage wise. <clears throat> I think I have to move demographically a little bit more, but yeah, location is key, you know, and, and, you know, it just has to become a, a priority and then it, it just becomes a lifestyle. So I, I still get, you know, I was actually, I have this little piece of paper on my tuning bench where I, I mark off the days on each board. So I know when I should wax them again. Mm hmm. And so I've got about 25 days this season. So I'll probably get about 50 or so. Um, and I would say, you know, that's, I typically get between 35 and 50, which is, which is good. That is, that's a super respect for what you do for a living. I mean, the fact that you're Monday to Friday, you're essentially a weekend warrior, right? And uh, yeah. that's a respectful yeah. number of days for sure. Yeah. I, I'm also lucky that I get to combine play and work together and, you know, turn some trips into, you know, whether it's touring trips or, you know, or, or travel around and, and add a day here and there wherever I go. Right. So, right. That's key. Yeah. Nice. <clears throat> so what was, what was the first split board that you owned? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. I like that. That is a good one. The first one that I owned was actually a uh, Jones Hovercraft, first-generation Hovercraft. Um, you know, I was totally, I don't know, maybe an early adopter to just different shapes. Yeah. Um, I was riding a bird and fish for a number of years and just realized, you know, just how a board shape can change your personality on the hill. Oh, yeah. and, and so the Hovercraft, you know, just stood out of being like, all right, this is something I need to do. And so I, I had the hovercraft set up with like first generation of the spark bindings, the one that still had the pin, yeah. like the sliding pin. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and, and really rode the shit out of that board. It was great. You know, I would say, you know, the only downfall for that board is really probably not suited best for the East Coast. It's got such a long turning radius. Yeah, it does. Huge um, nose, that, lots of nose on that thing. Yeah, so for float it's great, but in tight East Coast trees, the long, long side cut is is challenging. Yeah. Um, you know, you do have a short tail, so it is easy to swing that around. But um, yeah, so that was my first one. Nice. And then, and then, I did a tour up to uh, the Bow Hut on the Wapta Traverse. Okay, yeah. So off the ice Icefield Parkway. Yeah. Um and so that was like my first overnighter where I'm carrying a big pack and you know getting into, you know, heavier terrain. Um 
And I remember coming back from that trip, really, I suffered, like my feet suffered, just cranking down straps and um, realizing it's, it wasn't the most efficient setup. So, so I've, been, I've been buddies with Joey Vosberg for a while. Back in my days with the North Face, he was, he was an athlete of ours, and, and he and I had connected. And um, then when I started with Smartwool, I brought him on board to our program and he and I just, you know, would nerd out about like tech talk and he would plant the seed about the hard boot setup. So um, after that trip, I just said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to make the plunge. So so I bought a pair of Phantoms and some DinaFit TLT6s. Nice. You, you know, he gave me kind of the step by step, you know, mod, uh, you know, what I should do to, to, to get those things rideable. Um, and then, so since then, probably the last five, five or six years, I've been on the Phantom setup. You just got a pair of slippers this year, did you? I did. I got them about uh, probably a month ago. Have and, you uh, Have they, you been out on them yet? Yeah, a whole bunch. They and? are. They're great. I love them. You know, they they ride pretty similar to the TLTs. The really nice thing about it is you can keep the upper cuff tight while the link lever is open. Mm. And then the link lever, the spring gives you more like, um, forward pressure. Um, it's super easy to adjust forward lean and they're actually lighter than the, the DinaFit boots. So overall it's been a, a super easy transition and, Nothing but positive things to say about them. Just like, and it's a comfort foot. Like your, your foot is nice and comfy all day long. You know what? Like those slippers and the modified Dinafits are softer than my Vans Ooh, soft boot. That's crazy. <laughs> well, hence the name. The slippers. slippers. <laughs> but, it, you know, it, it's just this misconception because, you know, people think, oh, it's a hard boot. It's a ski boot, you know, or, you know, whatever it is. It's. They are softer than I would say seventy percent of the snowboard boots out there. Man, um, sold. Yeah, my stuff's so stiff. But oh you know, goodness. I think, I think you know it. I think you know the Spark stuff, the Karakorum stuff is is super good, and in, in many applications, you know, like probably the tools people should be using like it just really depends on on the person on the terrain on just what you're trying to get out of it so mm-hmm. like i'm not i'm not saying like oh you know the phantom setup's the only setup you know i think the great thing about splitboarding you know it reminds me of the late 80s and early 90s of of snowboarding in general is that there's so much innovation going on yes there is and and so when you see a splitboarder now it's like seeing a snowboarder in a parking lot in 1990 you know all of a sudden you know you say hey you know high fives <laughs> you know you it's automatically like become friends instant bros yeah that's so totally. true that's a Ken Achenbach story right there. Yeah. It's totally. uh I agree with you I think uh we're just at the beginning hey like I know it's been around for a good decade already. Uh, I mean, technically, splitboarding's been around for almost thirty years, really. But, but it's been uh, really. Let's let's all just give props to Jeremy Jones for really sp- shedding light on splitboarding. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Really bringing There's it no to question. the surface. Like, 
You know, I wasn't surprised when you told me what your first splitboard was, seeing that you got into splitboarding, you know, uh, 12 years ago. You know, it kind of makes all the sense in the world. But, uh, yeah, I agree with you. It's just kind of kind of getting into its uh, its power band right now, mm-hmm. for lack of a better mm-hmm. term, mm-hmm. right? I agree. So, uh, stoked. And, you know, what I would love to ask you right now, Corey um, – because you said it, you're, you're like, I know, like, like hard boots isn't, isn't the only answer. Like, Phantom's not the only answer for everybody. So, what are your, and, and I'm not picking, I don't want to say any specific brand, anything, but, like, what pros and cons to hard boots, hard boots and soft, soft boot setups? Like, wh- wh- what's your feeling on that side? Uh, pros and cons. So, like... You know, the, the slipper boot and the phantom setup, it sheds so much weight that it's ridiculous, you know? And, and when you talk about efficiency of, of climbing up and going down mountains, you know, weight is, is a, is a, is a major deal. Absolutely. So, you know, if, if you're doing bigger days, you know, you, you want to be as efficient as possible. And it's efficient from what you're wearing on your feet and your board to what's in your pack and just, you know, just being an efficient, mountain traveler um you know if you're doing like the social splitboard thing you know big group of friend party wave style um you know regular boots and and sparks are fantastic um you know the natural feel of, of being able to ride the same feeling from resort to to the backcountry you know like you can't, you can't argue against it and i i love what spark has done you know i i big proponent like the simplest solutions are the best solutions. Right. And, and I think that system is ingenious, right? Like there's really no moving parts. It's, they've done a fantastic job. Um, I agree with you. I think I, I love what Will has done with the, with the, you know, the, the premise of Spark and what they are. And I love the platform for how simple it is. I agree. Uh, I also love what John did with Phantom. I think that's the, you know the the same the same idea on the hard boot setup side. Do you ever yeah. find yourself? I'm curious. Do you still have a soft boot setup? Uh, just for the resort, not in split. Okay. But I, I yeah. So I so I had an I had a Rosie sushi split that mm. I just got rid of, and if I didn't sell that one, I was I was toying with the idea of getting setting that one up as like a spark setup, you know, so that would be like, you know, kind of side country, shorter trips, more just like, you know, low angle pow slashing in the trees. Right. Um, and you know, it seemed, and plus also if I wanted to, to bring a friend along who didn't have a split, you know, that would be an easy setup for anyone to, to jump on. Absolutely. So no, that, that right there, what you just said, that warms my heart because I'm the same way. I have 14 snowboards and I'm like, dude, do you want to try something different? Like you've been riding that same old board forever. Like expand your mind. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. here. Chad I did do that, that with me last year. He gave me his fish to ride and I was just like, what? I do that with, I do <laughs> I that with as many people as possible, man. I don't care. I'm like, here, take my board. Take it for a week, two weeks. I don't give a shit. Just bring it back. I'll trust yeah. you. Yeah. I would say this year my, my quiver is as perfectly dialed as i've ever had it so i'm i'm super happy with what i've got yeah yeah i, I gotta say something we, we've received some furberg snowboards tahoe boards you know 
Darren's been out. I haven't been out yet. Everything's lining up right now. Looks like in the next few weeks here, we're going to get some touring in. And man, I'm stoked to try different boards out. Because all I've ever rode, ridden, 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 rode? Correct. No. Yeah. Either way. Either doesn't way. matter. Is the, is the hovercraft. And yep. like you said, you get that thing into the trees and you're like, fuck am I doing with this thing here? Like you're just, you're hitting trees. <laughs> like I was running into trees. Like I can't get out. It's like I'm screwed. Um, so I'm looking forward to this directional and then the Phantom or the um, Phantom, the uh, Furberg board with the floorboard technology just, and, and those boards, they look yeah, so. Yeah, those are pretty wild. Yeah. I look at it and I'm like, there's no side cut. But no there, side cut. There is. Like, there is, but there really isn't. It's very subtle. It's a very big radius for sure. But, but you have to think like, look where look where those are designed for, right? Like right. Chamonix, yeah. big alpine. Yeah. Same, same, yeah. Yeah. Same with the hovercraft. Like I, I did a trip to Iceland a couple of years ago and, you know, there's, there's that joke. If you get it lost in an Icelandic forest, just stand up, right? Because there's no mm. trees. It's It's all like these shrubs. <laughs> But, you know, you're talking about big, wide-open powder fields. Right. And, I mean, the hovercraft is, is – oh. that's what it's made for. It's absolutely – nothing heaven. wrong with big, wide-open powder that fields. Board just Give goes, me that for goes, a week, please. That board goes yeah. faster and faster and faster. You point that thing and you're like, I got to slow this thing down because it's out of control. It goes fast. Yeah, you know what's, what's, what's also fun on the opposite end of the spectrum is – so one of my solid boards is the Storm Chaser, mm, the one one forty seven yeah. Storm Chaser. Yeah, and and that is as close as you're going to get to a surfboard. Um, you know, it's got like that uh, surf rocker. Yeah, and this it just it accelerates so fast, and it's almost like you're trimming on a wave. It, it's 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 ridiculously fun. Yeah, I know. I've been looking at that for a long time. You just put my shit in my head. Stop. Just like you're, you're the bad influence why I bought those step-ons. You're like, nah, just do it. I'm like, I am fucking doing it. Corey said do it. That's why, do it. that's why Chad has 14 snowboards. Yeah, never, uh, never enough. Chad's quantity over quality right now. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of quality in there too. Yeah, well, we're also that. looking at getting some elevated uh, surf craft splits as well. Yeah, speaking about surfing on snow. Oh, man. That's, yeah, it's making some cool stuff. Yeah, so, oh, is. man, he's got some sick shapes. I'm just dying to try I'll, I'll have to one. bring one when we go on our uh, hut trip so you can steal mine. <laughs> there yeah. you go. That, oh, that's right, because you guys would be the same size. Pretty close. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Pretty close. Yeah, man. The, one thing that I'm, the one thing I'm finding with my split setup is going back to more like traditionally shaped boards, um, just in respect to like bigger terrain – Mm-hmm. You know, a little more centered, a little bit of taper, but not like crazy shapes because, you know, it's more of like a a, a tool. And if you get into a tight little spot, you got to ride, you know, you got to ride switch a little bit. So you need versatility. Yeah. Um, so again, like, you know, we're talking about quivers. Yeah, it'll be amazing to have, you know, a quiver of splits to go along with this quiver of solids and then you'll always be set yeah it's funny you say that about riding switch because i was actually watching yesterday i finally got a chance to watch day two of the natural selection oh ridiculous oh yeah and uh mikhail bang was riding like a 170 170 170 okay the big big switch method but no yeah but listen this is what i'm getting at i looked at his stance and i'm like that guy is more forward than he is back and then 
all I kept hearing is Mikhail's writing switch. Mikhail's writing switch. He's got that one switch. He's hitting that switch. And I'm like, dude, he's like, fuck, just to just change his stance. He's like, yeah, this is what I'm gonna write. I'm gonna wow the the uh, the judges, and I'm also going to enjoy the pow backwards. And man, because I don't think that way. I'm always like longer nose, longer nose, longer nose. And he's got like longer tail, but it's it's specific. It's not oh. like it's not like some dude at the resort that fucked up and put himself centered or forward. I didn't notice that. I did. That was the first thing I saw. I'm like, holy shit! Like Morris, uh, when he was up against Mark McMorris, he was more in the back on his board, and then Mikael was more in the front. And I was like, man, like for a seventy, either you got a thirty inch stance, right, <laughs> or you're riding in the front more. And then I was like, man, and then everything. Or you're just, riding in the back because I got a seventy, and I'm not on a thirty inch stance. No, but the way his his feet are oh, like yeah. the way you can see that that. Uh, that his bindings are really forward, and I was like, and then mm. you, just, "You just said it, you know. You got to get up." So he's forcing himself to get even better riding st- switch, and he set up his stance that way. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's what I saw, and I was like, "That's pretty interesting stuff." Because I'm the opposite. I want to go as far back to that fucking tail as possible. <laughs> yeah, but I find you know boards like you know powder boards now that have yeah. early rise, yeah. long noses, yeah. taper. You you don't like. There's no way you're gonna submarine them so so you, you can actually mount them forward from like their suggested stance right, um right and and it actually becomes a bit more of a powerful ride um M- more so maneuverable yeah 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 it's it's kind of interesting and it's like you know the the thing is to constantly experiment you know change change your always, angles man, change always. change yeah just change it up i'll go down to the bottom of the hill change boards out change stances we went out to Powder King a few weeks ago now, and I rode my um, my one hitter for the first time, one fifty six, and I was not centered, but I was a little more forward. And I was like, "Man, I can't get around the trees because everything's tight. It's kind of socked. Like the snow is a bit tight. It wasn't fluffy like it normally would be." And I got further back, and with the step ons, my control with that back foot has never been that strong in my entire life. Like, I can't explain it. There's no fear of going edge to edge in the snow and pushing and picking up the ass end and moving it. So, you know, you're right. You got to play with it. People, I see people at the resorts, man. They got that freaking straight, straight stance or they're ducked out, pow day. And I'm like, you're not having fun. And I just want to walk over and be like, dude, can we just spend five minutes? And I was like, no, leave them alone. I'm like, all right, leave them alone. <laughs> like, well, they, they, they are having fun, but, you know, well, they've got to, they've got to figure it tomahawking yeah. all the way down in front of the resort or <laughs> way down but yeah yeah no it's all good but yeah it's all, I, I agree you, you, there's a reason why i got so many snowboards when i discovered the different shapes man it was like i gotta get a shape of that i gotta get it that one because i want to try them all out because it's it's fun totally yeah so i've got a, a spline pie yeah. slices which yeah. is uh, oh no ju- way you do yeah he does yeah oh yeah my so this is white and blue is it blue uh, stripes no, it's white with the carbon stringers. Okay, so, that's right. so yeah, so Justin made it up for me, and I wanted something that kind of looked like a surfboard. So it, you know, oh, it's yeah. it's it's kind of that white resin tint. Yeah, um, nice. loving it. I love that board. Yeah, me too. Love that board. Yeah, and it's you know it's unsinkable. It's easy to turn. Um, you know, and it's light and it's efficient. So it's been super fun. And then my solids, I've been riding a lot Karua's this this winter. So oh. the the dart and the auto and those have just blown my mind, you know, full of camber, um, you know, slightly on the stiffer side, 
and just turning machines. Yeah. Um, so, so lots of fun. Those tails are, that's where I got my idea for my, uh, my bird man. When I, I simmed it, I saw the crew and I was like, man, that thing that I got to try one of those out. Cause that, I can't even talk about it. It's too crazy. Like I just love what they're doing with their snowboards. Yeah. And I watch them on YouTube and I'm just like drooling. Like their videos uh, that they drop. Like, oh, those Karua videos are crazy oh, good. man. Just, just so soulful and yeah. amazing. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> I want to watch one now. That's all I do anyways. Watch snowboarding videos all day. <laughs> but um, awesome. So when's, um, what's, what's going on with you? Like so snowboarding has been huge. Now what about your career? Like what's been happening for you? You went to, you did some uh, time in university. And then you uh, just been kind of focusing, yeah. like your whole career has been around snowboarding. Yeah. So every every job I've had in my adult life has been snowboarding related. Um, so again, like a retail background. So understanding retail has been really the the kind of pillar of of what I've done. Um, so after I jumped from the retail side, I, I got over onto the brand side. So I spent a couple of years at Burden Snowboards in Burlington. Um, then when I moved up to Montreal, I was working for the North face and I spent nine years with the North face handling the market, handling the marketing for, for Canada. Um, then the opportunity came to, to head up the business for SmartWool in Canada. And, and I did that for about four years. And then about last year at this time, I, my role was elevated to oversee both the Canadian and the European business. So, um, you know, SmartWool has been a brand that has been on my radar since 1997. So when, you know, I mentioned managing a snowboard shop in Boulder, you know, at, at that point in time, you know, socks and base layer were, was all synthetics. And I remember a rep came in and tossed us over these merino wool socks from Smart Wool. And, and, you know, we thought he was crazy. Like, you know, you equated wool with itchy and scratchy kind of grandma socks. <laughs> and, and you wouldn't ever want to snowboard in them. But sure enough, these things were just absolutely amazing. Um, they just kept you warm and dry, you know, like your feet never overheated. They never stunk. It was, it was just, kind of this miracle thing. So SmartWool has always been on my radar as, you know, this cool brand that has this amazing product. So when the opportunity came up to, to join their team, it was a no-brainer. So, um, you know, I look at, at that decision to, to, to work with SmartWool as, as the greatest career decision of, of my life. Um, it's, it's just been super, super fun. Um, the values of the brand align with my personal values and, you know, the product, you know, being a natural fiber just makes a whole lot of sense. And then obviously with, with splitboarding, you know, you use Merino and you realize that it's just a game changer. So, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm super blessed. Like I've got an amazing job. I work with amazing people with a brand that just does incredible things. Um, so no complaints at all. So we got um, we got the sponsor. They're called Smartwool, and we're going to give you a pair of socks. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're actually going to give you the pair that Corey would get. We're going to find a uh, listener, and we're going to send that up, set that up. 
That would be awesome. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do something on Instagram story, and I'll uh, I'll make sure somebody out there in the Boom, audience the gets lucky the winner, lucky winner, of some yeah, socks. and really lucky. Yeah, like I've I've yeah, loved man. Smart Wool since 1997. I remember when they first came out, and uh, been a big fan. Merino wool, yeah. Like I I lived through the days of polypropylene and and dealing with the stinkiness, you know, and and how good that that stuff always was. But nothing compared to Merino Wool. And Merino Wool was a game changer for sure. Um, it feels like it's been a slow come around, you know, to a degree uh, for the industry and Merino Wool. But it's it's become the norm, hey, big time. It has. You know, the last, I would say, last six years, it's just accelerated. Um, you know, and I think as people try it out, they just realize how much better it works. Um, and you know, from, you know, from your through hikes and stuff, you know, you can have the same Merino shirt or socks and wear day in and day out. And it's, it's just keep, you know, it feels fresh. Um, yeah. Whereas polypropylene was the opposite. Like you wear totally. it once and it just, it collects smell <laughs> as you go on. So, yeah, those are the crazy days. Yeah. So, so, you know, when we look at like, all of the date retail data, you know, Smartwell right now at specialty across North America. It's the number one base layer brand. Um, so, you know, consumers have definitely realized the power of Merino and uh, it's, it's good. You know, it's. Hey, with the, with the, at, at the risk of sounding like this is a big commercial right now, <laughs> I, I don't, <laughs> what I want to do is I want to attack Smartwell and just say like, not an attack in an aggressive way everybody. Um, oh, I, know just, I just want to talk about it a little more because um, can you help shed some light on what's the difference between merino wool and regular wool? Well, I mean, the, the biggest difference is the sheep that it comes from. So merino sheep um, have ultra fine uh, fleece. And, you know, particularly, you know, the bulk of the Merino that we get comes from New Zealand. So we work with New Zealand Merino and they have a, a kind of the gold standard of certification called uh, ZQ or ZQ rating. So, you know, that takes into account, you know, animal welfare, um, you know, all of the wool stations just from start to finish, you know, how well the the, the sheep are, are treated. But you know, they're living. So if you think of the topography of New Zealand, you know, you've got on the South Island, you've got big mountains. Um, it gets cold. It gets super hot in the summer. So those sheep have adapted their fleece to accommodate these, these massive swings in, in temperature and precipitation. Um, so, you know, they need to keep their bodies thermoregulated. They need to stay dry. And, you know, nature really has come up with the best solution to do all of that. Um, so, you know, it, it's really the climate that they're in has forced these sheep to evolve to, to, you know, to live. Um, and, and, you know, we're fortunate to, to have discovered it in and put it to the application. So, so smart will started in, 25 years ago, two ski instructors in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, really had the one mission to try to keep people out on the hill longer so that they can have more fun. And they stumbled upon Merino and developed the first Merino sock. Well, it's amazing because um, it does exactly that. And I, and I agree 100%. Like it's a, I mean, I, 
I love it. I love it. Love it. It's it's my go-to for many, many years since I moved up here is uh, merino wool, period. And and the, the cool thing is I always smart I always associated smart wool with socks. But you guys mm-hmm. there's way more than socks, right? Yeah, you have like hats and stuff. <laughs> uh, you know, so so we started we started as a sock brand. You know, we we revolutionized socks twenty five years ago, but but now it's really, you know, we've we've become a head to toe apparel brand. Yeah, so so base layers socks, mid layers hats, accessories. Um you know, anywhere that merino is next to skin, you know, there's this this comfort story and you know this this immense benefit. Um so yeah, we're we've got a ton of different products. It's been fa- it's fantastic. So tell us a little bit about this like hut trips you're doing with with uh, Smartwool cuz you're you're uh, I think you invited us to one the next time. Kind of <laughs> yeah, like getting the hint right. of. Yeah, so, so once, nudge, once nudge, life, wink, wink. <laughs> totally. You know, once once life gets back to normal, you guys are definitely welcome. So every year for in Canada, we do this trip called Earn Your Turns. And um what we do is through our relationship with the Alpine Club of Canada, we take over the Wheeler Hut on Rogers Pass for a couple of nights. And we invite, you know, we invite athletes, we invite retailers, we invite just, uh, you know, good friends of the brand to share hut life for, for you know, a couple of days. And, you know, we'll have Joey Vosberg, Christina Lusty, uh, Marty Schaefer guide us and, um, you know, it's just one of these unique experiences where you take people from all walks of life. It's almost like a reality program where you take, you know, 20 strangers, throw them into a <laughs> hut where they have to eat clean, you know, take a shit in an outhouse, you know, do some AVI training and then spend, you know, an epic day on Rogers Pass. Um, so it's, it's just it's it's magic. You know, it's it's like this little, you know, you, you sprinkle in some whiskey and some karaoke, and it's it's yeah, really the the week the week of uh, the highlight of of my year. It's I can't imagine fun. whiskey karaoke and Marty Schaefer. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, out of control, right? That sounds there. dangerous. Dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> the little we know of Marty is enough to know Marty. Um, Marty, Marty is an amazing and unique individual. Absolutely, no question. Love the guy, no question. Yeah. So, um, yeah. What are some of the things that you? um, Well, actually, when did you get your first Avalanche One course? When did you start getting to that thing, that kind of going on, realizing you needed to get some education? I know the I know the side of the world you're on, or the side of the country, country. I guess you could say doesn't have a lot of mountain peaks. It's not, you know, big coolies and all that stuff, but still need to be aware. That's what's great about Canada because you can say country or continent and it both applies. Right. So, there you go. Yeah. So, my training is like bits and pieces from all over the place. You know, it started when I was in Colorado. I mean, Colorado snowpack is notoriously bad and, and, and dangerous. So, you know, back in my early 20s, just as I kind of dabbled with side country stuff, realizing like, oh, I better I better learn something here. Um, so taking some classes there. And then, you know, over the years, you know, various like mechanized backcountry experiences, whether it's snowcat or heli, you know, going through some some basic training 
at that level. Um, even at, at our Wheeler Hut event, you know, there's been some days where, you know, there's been considerable or, or high uh, hazard and we'll just spend a ton of time going through the routine, you know, going to the, the, the beacon parks and setting up different scenarios. So, you know, it, it's definitely one of those things that the more you know, the, the more you realize you don't know much. Um, you know, also worked with like the Sherpa Cinema with their fine line project back in the day. So just getting a ton of awareness with backcountry safety. And um, I don't know, you, you just kind of you as you as you immerse yourself in it, you just realize, man, there's there's so many different um, variables. Um so it's just a constant education. And that's one thing for me was, yeah, you can get, you know, your education from one guide, one Avi trainer, but everybody has their own unique perspective, their snowpack, their experiences. So that's why, you know, this, again, this podcast was created to highlight some of those people, get more of those people on the show, ask those guys questions. Now it doesn't mean you're going to get, all the goodies, but you definitely get a bit of them happening. And that's making that stew pot, I guess you could call our, our podcast is becoming with uh, everybody's uh, ingredients involved. <clears throat> On that note, what are some of the things that you think are extremely crucial that you use on a daily basis when you, every time you go out riding, uh, touring, that you always make sure that you've got like in the back of your head, like, okay, I'm going to watch for this and watch for that. Oh, this is happening. What are some of those things that occur with you? Uh, you know, I think going back to the conversation about, you know, listening to music or not, you know, I, I, I don't because just trying to be hyper observant of everything that's going on, you know, whether it's, you know, using my pole as like a quick probe to see, you know, if there's a crust down below, you know, just kind of getting a read on wind and temperature um, so there's just kind of that internal, uh, computer that's registering just the here and now, you know, in terms of like pack, what I, what I carry with me, you know, shovel probe all the time in the East. I don't necessarily always wear a transceiver, you know, I'm more, probably more concerned with, uh, tree wells, but you know, trips to Tuckerman's, you know, you're definitely wearing a, a, a transceiver when you're heading down there. Um, yeah. Well, you just did it. You brought us into the pack. So what are some yeah. of the unique things you bring like food wise? What are some of the things, uh, how do you bring your water along? So I'm, I'm kind of a pack nerd and I'm sure Darren is too with his, his <laughs> camp more days. So, so I just, I'm testing out a Osprey, a Solden 32. So it's their new touring pack. Um, so the guys at Osprey Canada, uh, ha gave one to me to test out and it's, it's great. I was, I was using a North Face Patrol 34 for, for many, many years. Loved it. Was really reluctant to, to change. So this one, this one's good. Um, you know, I need a hip belt with a pocket. I also need a gear loop on the other side of the hip belt. Um, I carry a carabiner on that side, especially with like the phantom bindings. I use a carabiner to like, to latch the bindings That's when the I'm Joey trick. Yeah, when I'm transitioning. Yeah. Um, you know, in my hip pocket, I 
typically carry a whole bunch of, I don't know if you guys know what gingins are. They're like these little ginger syrupy candies. Um, no, but I'm on. I, I want to yeah, know they, all about it. They're super good. They'll probably, you know, my teeth will probably rot out in the next couple of years. It's okay. Just because, go to Mexico and get all new teeth. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Yeah. But in, in terms of nutrition, you know, it's, you know, you got to keep it simple. So it's it sugars, fats, and it's salts. Yes. Um, so the simplest forms that you can take. So if, if it's nuts, even like, you know, gummy bears and things like that. I tend to stay away from like big meals. It's just more like grazing along the way. Yes. Um, that way I don't get too cold by stopping and, you know, doing all of that stuff. Hallelujah, brother. I'm down with yeah. you. Yeah. You know, I'll throw in like a cliff bar or, or something um, just for a little bit more sustenance. Mm-hmm. Um, water, it's in a water bottle in, in my pack. I don't use you know, hydration bags and things. That's just a accident waiting to happen. <laughs> so if any if anybody's been a long time listener, yes, Darren has come around. I'm switching to the water <laughs> bottle from the bladder thing. I have the bladders and 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 I'll tell you the honest truth. It's just the bladders are a fucking pain in the ass. Not in the winter for the freezing. I've learned how to deal with that. It's the uh after I'm lazy as shit when I get home yeah, from a trip. Yeah, cleaning them. Yeah, cleaning yeah. them and doing the deal with them. Fuck it. It's so much easier to deal with a <laughs> bottle. It's so much easier. But when it comes to the bottle, I am, uh, for lack of uh, mentioning a specific brand of bottle, I am like, I'm down with the the stainless steel, you know, double walled. Yeah. You know, so it doesn't freeze type of thing. Totally. And, and typically what I do is I... I don't fill it up all the way, so the water can slosh around a bit, kind of moves around, doesn't freeze as fast. I, At least that's what I theorize. Scares the snow snakes away. Yeah. 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 Um, sometimes <laughs> I'll pack – I have like a little Stanley thermos that sometimes I'll pack like a tea or I've even done like a big thing of like Americano coffee, like, you oh, know, a nice. bunch of sh- shots of espresso. Um, nice. Hey, by the way, I everybody would- out there in La La Land, the uh, – the Starbucks, um, the Vivo, oh, the, the little Vivo they, packs, man, those, yeah, those are good, man. Those, those are really good. Yeah. If you're going to carry a stove and a little water and do that boiling up, I mean, the, the Vivo packs work really well. Yeah. I love my coffee. Oh. I'm a black coffee nerd when it comes to that. Yeah. And then one of my guilty pleasures is, uh, I'll sometimes pack a little flask of whiskey to celebrate like a mm. summit and just kind of. You know, we're, you just pass it around for a quick nip and warm up. Um, so tequila, no, <laughs> yeah, I gotta find. You know, with all the new tequilas coming out nowadays, it's like I want to try something new. Not, schmoo, man, not I just, no, Souza. Always with the silver. Oh Soza. no, oh no, that's shit. No, you no, just want to stay away from the Cuervo. Just yeah. go over the yeah. Patron. Yeah, you got to go with like an Anejo or yeah, yeah, know, something, yeah. something. You good. guys are way more knowledged. <laughs> I'm just like. Tequila. I just I like my tequila. I've had my bad experiences with them, oh, and I had dude. my chap- chapter in my life where I wouldn't like I could smell it and I want to throw up. That's Jack Daniels for and me then, right now, buddy. <laughs> and that Fuck changed that shit. That changed, and yeah. I now I really appreciate a good tequila, man. Yeah, good tequila is definitely so far away from a uh, Cuervo. Mm. You yes. know, where, where you, you know, it, it's almost like, it's almost like a, a scotch where you can sip it, you know, it's aged oh, in these casks and 
Can't so, imagine. You'll have to you'll have to educate me on that when we come to Montreal. I'm down all day. I'd rather sip tequila than scotch. I just uh scotch is too there's too much going on with scotch, man. There's just too many different <laughs> scotches and should you add water? And and I don't know if you've ever done a proper scotch tasting, but um, some of them you add a little tiny drop of water to them and it changes, it changes. the taste dramatically, it totally. man. It's totally. like, it's so, it's like, what? It's just so that's, hard to keep up. That's me with my captain, Spice Captain Morgan's water is like vanilla. It's and dude, beautiful. when I worked in New York City, Love it. one of the guys I worked with was really big into his scotches. We went to a bar one night and he, he asked the bartender, he's like, put up all your scotches on the bar. And he started going through them. He's like, two PD, two PD, two PD. <laughs> and then, uh, he finally picked one that we we're going to have a shot of. 80 bucks for a shot of scotch, man. Fuck. US, That's crazy. U.S. That's like 105 <laughs> Canadian. That was in Manhattan, though. <laughs> I got to say, that was in Manhattan. That was nuts, man. $80 for a shot of scotch. Well, you know what? You'll always remember it, right? I've never forget about it now. Never. And that was exactly. a good dozen or more years ago. Yeah, yeah. easily so. Makes for a good story. Yep. It's a little shot. So cool. So you got your, we got the food thing. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. Like it used to be, uh, I used to be the big sandwich guy and that changed for me. Definitely. I mean, even on the, when I was hiking the Appalachian trail, lunch was in my pocket. And at the time I think it was power bars and cliff bars and that kind of stuff. Oreo cookies, you know, things like that, you know, just high yeah. calories, right? It's just whatever I could eat. And I like to keep moving. Uh, breakfast was a big meal. Dinner was a big meal. Yeah. Lunch was in my pockets. Um, yep. Same thing. And I've migrated that way on the trail um, in the snow. Because at one time it was like, pack a sandwich, need this, need that, need that. You know, and, and uh, it, it's funny when you talk about packs. So when I hiked the Appalachian Trail, I picked the biggest pack I could get at the time was Gregory made a pack yeah. called the Massif, which was 7,000 cubic inch pack. Like it was a gigantic pack. Um, you know what Massif stands for? Yes, I do. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so I and I didn't understand. I mean, I knew what Massif stood for at that time, but at that time I thought I needed a big pack. I'm hiking 2,155 miles over six months. I plan on doing seven to 10 days at a time before resupplying. I need a big pack, right? I was, I'm carrying my house on my back. And uh, I learned the hard way that the bigger the pack is, the more you'll put the in more it, the you, heavier exactly. the pack is. So. Keep your pack nice and light. Today, my biggest pack is a 50-liter pack. So, yeah. dramatically different. Um, but even on the on, on the skin track, I find myself carrying a 30-liter Jones higher pack, which I love. It's got all the features that I love. It's got the hip belt pocket, and it's an old pack, right? I mean, when it comes to splitboard touring packs, you know, in the realm of packs, it's an older pack. Like, it's one of the first packs Jones ever made. And it's got the hip belt pockets, which I love. Those are ideal. You know, it's got the gear loops on it, like you mentioned. It's got all the, you know, all the compression straps. It's got all the compartments I want. I can put hydration bladder in it if I want to. It's got the back panel access, which is bomber. Love yeah. the backpack, back panel access, right? Take a pack off, throw it on the snow, zip open the back panel, get right at the main compartment. It's ideal. It's a great pack in that sense. Um, but I almost feel like, I need a pack. I need a smaller pack because I find myself putting way too much stuff in. I'm like, how the fuck is my pack so much heavier than everybody's pack? Or it feels you know, like my pack is. But Yeah. I, I For me, I find that like 30 is the perfect everyday size. You know, if, if I do a overnight hut trip, I'll go up to 40, 45, nothing bigger than that. Um, 
but you know, I, I've had like 16 liter packs and they're, it's just too, it's too tight. You know, it's 16 just, is it's, that's pretty small. That, that sounds like slack hill and day, you know, like, exactly, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. For that. But 20 liter for a good day tour. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think like, like a Dekine Heli Pro for a day tour type of trek, you know, sounds like a good pack for that size. Yeah. I've got two AK packs, a 24, the small one they got, and then a 20, 38, no, 28. I think they got, I don't know. I don't remember. It was a pack. My dad had, had bought a backpack to go to work with. We were working in the patch together <clears throat> and the zipper broke. And he's like, ah, fucking bag. I'm like, give me the bag. I'll take care of this. So I go, I go over to the store, exchange it. Three and a half weeks later, new new bag shows up. It's an AK backpack worth like 250 bucks. I'm like, Dad, this is too much pack for you. I'm going to buy you a $50 pack from Burton, and it's all good. He's like, no problem. Dad, so, here's, here's your Jansports. Yeah, Jans <laughs> I'll take that AK fucking super duper freaking amazing bag. I don't even know what how many liters it is, but I, I love it for um for the touring but it doesn't have that back that back access that's the back a, panel access it's it's a game changer man like to be able to because uh, you take your pack off and then the first it's in the perfect orientation just lay it in the snow and the back panels facing up you know and and the zipper opens i mean you know three sides and it just hinges at the top and you open it up and you get the main compartment everything's right there it's just really easy to get to stuff so if you want to get that puffy out you get to the top of the skin track, and the first thing you want to do is get that big puffy out and throw it on right away. Zip, and it's on. It's it's a game changer. I love it. That does change skins things. everything right there. Boom. I need to buy another. Sorry, bag. I I stole the show from you, Corey. Apologies. No, it's good. <laughs> I, I think we we can definitely nerd out on packs for a while. Um, yeah, I'm a gearhead because- in the same sense, man. Like I said, you know, I I wish I'd have, I wish I did landed that buyer's job when I was in my twenties. I would have. That would have been a, a whole different world for me, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> what else do I stick in? I, so I have like a first aid kit in there, headlamp. Um, do you carry a bivy shelter or an emergency shelter or, or like a mylar you know, blanket or anything like that? I don't. Okay. You know, typically like I'm not going that far where I, you know, need it. Okay. Um, good, good. What else? Um, so... I tour up typically in like liner gloves. So like a Merino 150 glove, um, or something slightly heavier, like a spring glove, but then I'll have a warmer pair in the bag. Uh, same with a hat. So, you know, I may have just like a, a light hat on the way up and then, you know, a full toque for the way down. Um, so, you know, gloves and hats are something that, you know, because we're sweating, I always want a fresh set. For the down, hundred um, percent. So that's that's definitely like a, a, a standard in there, you know. Depending on the weather, you know, typically my shell will go in the pack, um, you know. So it'll be base layer and mid layer on the way up, and then throw the shell on on the way down. And and the shell too is kind of like an emergency thing, just from a heat retention. You know, I'll, I'll throw on the gore shell, and and just trap the heat if I need it. Um, if it's, if it's super cold, I'll throw, you know, a, a down jacket in there as well. Um, the other thing I have is, you know, those little like Smith or Oakley hard shell glass case thing. 
And I use that just to hold all my tools. So I'll have like a Swiss army knife, some skin wax. Um, I've got my, uh, phantom kind of tool. You know, they have like their little diamond screwdriver thing. Um, and some extra screws and stuff in case, you know, any hardware issues. Um, but having it all zipped into that hard shell eyeglass case is, is great. You know, nothing, nothing falls out of your pack and it just keeps everything nice and tidy. That's a nice little tech tip there. We'll yeah. take that pro tip from you because that, uh, that for sure is something I never considered before. Sometimes those, those hard shell cases that don't get utilized, right? They get kind of tossed yeah. to the side and there's a great example of what they're good for. Do you bring a scraper with you at all? Uh, yeah, with the skin wax, they're a little like, you know, it's, I don't know, maybe like a four inch scraper. Right. Um, and that's if, you know, there's any freezing around the bindings or cleats and things, right, right. you know, I've got that. Um, and then some, you know, volley straps, you know, those things are invaluable and get you out of any situation. Yeah. Other than the duct tape. All the people seem to love the duct tape. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, I've done the duct tape thing where I'll take some duct tape and wrap it around a uh, part of my pole, you know, because duct tape sticks to itself. So I'll just I'll put a couple of layers of duct tape around a, a segment of the pole. And if I need to use it to tape something up, I've got it there. It's not in the pack. It's just, you know, stuck to my pole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to leave that one alone. But uh... yeah. <laughs> Just uh, anyways, it's all good. And I'm I'm a I'm a pole on the outside of the pack guy. Um, I use like I right now I have that like the Z the Black Diamond Z compactor pole. Um, but I may switch to just like a three section, you know, convertible pole if you if that's the right terminology. You know, not not the Z pole, but just the collapsible one. Right? Yeah. Yeah, with the Kevlar cord through it. You ever tried to using the, holding the poles in your hand when you go down when you descend, or doing the Joey, yeah, the, the Joey. Joey Vosberg, the Revy style rider. You know, it it depends on the descent. If yeah. it's if it's you know East Coast, if it's you know overgrown or there's some flats, I'll I'll definitely hold the poles in the backhand. Um, you know, if 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 it's a big ripping descent, you know, then it's definitely in the pack or on the pack and. Um, you know, just natural. Mm-hmm. Nice. Cool. Hey, I want to ask you a question about your riding because uh, you get to tour, you get to travel. Um, well, except for like, you know, the COVID times. But uh, have you done any split boarding on the other side of the pond? Yeah. So I've, I have toured in Iceland, northern Iceland on oh, the Troll, right. Penins- yeah, yeah. Troll Peninsula, which is just heaven on earth. Um, and I can you break that down a little bit for us? Like, why is that heaven on earth over there? Like, I, I, you know, I agree. I think uh, it'd be wicked to go to somewhere like Iceland or Svalbard or something like that and do some riding. Just kind of curious what it's like in Iceland. Yeah, so so it's a coastal snowpack. Um, the season really doesn't get started until I would say mid March and goes all the way to June. Um, you know, before then it's just too dark and kind of stormy. So, so springtime is ideal, longer days, stable snowpack. Um, the thing is, you know, it's, it's all essentially fjord riding. So there's no trees and you're riding from summit essentially down into the ocean. And 
because because there's no trees you know your imagination can just kind of wander like you can just see zones and say okay we're going there um you know and then i think the other part is just the culture like the icelandic culture is just absolutely incredible you know i think there's something to be said about you know desolation and <laughs> you know you know the, these isolated fishing villages where people have to you know they have to entertain themselves and so they get in, incredibly creative um you know it, it's just it's a really special place and special people so i've i've been there now four times and i'll i'll you know my my goal is to probably retire there and you know living in live in a fishing village and splitboard you know as much as i can nice um, i love that idea i like that plan man that's cool yeah that's cool it makes me think of that movie walter mitty right the uh oh totally yeah, yeah it's i mean that it that movie you know really captures the magic of of that island it's it's crazy it's it's unlike anything you know, you've got volcanoes and glaciers and you know you it's just missing some unicorns but you know they've got trolls and elves so it kind of makes up for it <laughs> that's um, awesome. cool so but, so you were you you were moving on with where else you've ridden so where else yeah, so I've you know I've I've done some touring and riding in the Chamonix area, so oh, on the Cormier side and Grand Monte and and all of that. So you know that's spectacular. Um, you get out with you know, uh, Mister uh, Monsieur Delarue out there. I haven't. You know, once once the pandemic lifts, you know, I, I what I would like to do is kind of that earn your turns hut trip, but european style yeah, yeah and you know go from like refugio to refugio and and you know drinking schnapps and eating raclette and fondue um so you know the riding riding in the alps is is ridiculous you know there's there's terrain that'll just scare you um oh, yeah it's it's just unbelievable and you know the mountain culture is is so incredibly special you know you're talking about these little villages that you know they produce everything themselves like cheese and wine and you know and, and they're fully ingrained in the the mountains um so you know it's it's super special um you know quite different from north american ski culture uh but you know mountain culture it no matter where you are is just awesome you know because people are genuinely excited and appreciative of of what they what their playground is so no matter where you go it's you know there's that electricity of you know you're you're in the right spot so it, it's it's super fun to travel and just see other people's perspectives on on playing in the mountains well i can imagine like it, the apre is just a, as big a day for them as the the play part right like as 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 the uh the riding and the apre equally weigh just as much yeah, you know, it's interesting, like, you know, you have these these slopeside little restaurants that are owned by families and they're making homemade pastas and, you know, it, it's it's unlike the $20 burgers that you get at the resorts in North America, you know, like you, you can cry into your bowl of gnocchi at lunchtime and then, you know, hit, <laughs> hit, hit untracked powder. And it's funny because, you know, 
a lot of Europeans really stay on on the trails, on the pistes, and and you know you just look around and there's so much untapped, you know, untouched terrain, and it's it's pretty accessible. Um, You're not but, the first yeah, person to say that. <clears throat> I've heard yeah, that from a couple other people as well. You, you do have to be careful too, because yeah. you know, uh, 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 you know, there's a good number of folks that fall into crevasses, and you know, when when you're riding there, it's like you know, you're wearing a harness and and all of that stuff. So it's it's just a different experience. Man, I'm looking forward to that so much. Exploring the world, trying. I'm trying to try and pull off what uh, Mike Wigley does. Ride somewhere every every month of the year. That's the plan here. Not yet. Once the world goes back to a norm, and we yeah. can travel again, and whatever yeah. regulations, yeah, whatever regulations we got to follow. What? Uh, <clears throat> so, how much of that awesomeness do you capture on uh, with your camera, with your phone, with your GoPro? Like, what are some of those things you use? Your personal onboard video? Yeah, recording device. Come on, man, get it right. <laughs> uh, t- typically, I travel with my own personal photographer. Bastard. <laughs> no, uh, I'm kidding. No, that's it's, you, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You know what? It's it's it's. I'm I'm an iPhone guy. Um, I and and you know when I'm when I'm on the hill, it's I have a hard time remembering to stop and, and take pictures. You yeah, know, I'm just so I'll pull out the phone and I'll snap some shots or you know do a little video, but I'm not I'm not a huge content creator. You don't have a GoPro. Um, I have I have an old GoPro gotcha. that I, I I use with my son every once in a while. Gotcha. Well, we're willing to hook you up with a uh, a grill mount from Pro Standard. We do have sweet uh, those available. Maybe get you because you know the beautiful thing about them is you can just stuff them in your chest pocket, all set up. You know, just hit the button, stick it in your mouth, and do your run. And then when you're done, That's you a- stick it back in your pocket. It's a super good idea. You Hook know, it on your ha- sternum strap. Yeah, there's so many yeah. ideas you can do. Yeah. Totally. So I guess the question comes down. So Ken Ockenbach of Pro Standards giving you a a, a, a grill mount. And he's giving Ken's you, a legend. Yeah, he is, big time. And he's giving everybody else on the show, if you go to you know www.theprostandard.com, you get uh, free shipping. And... Um, yeah, let's get some of these things sold for Ken because he's been definitely a huge supporter of the show. And um, we're going to get you one. So what are you looking for, black or white? What's kind of the, the go-to color for you? I'll go black. Okay. That way if I drop it, I can find it in the snow. That's what everybody says, but there's orange tabs. So you'll find it regardless. Uh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to go white then? <laughs> I have a white one. Black black's the way to go. Go black. I have I'll go white. black. Unless, have, unless you know. unless you have a surplus of white that you need to get rid of, then I'll gladly take a white. I'm uh, not. No, we need to make room for the gold. Yeah, gold's coming in. That's what gold would be doing. amazing. The gold grill, grill. Yeah, yeah. Like flavor flave style, right? Totally. Public enemy number one. Flavor <laughs> flave. <laughs> yeah, that's the shit I used to listen to, man. Lots when totally. I was a kid, man. Yeah, yeah. I got my son hooked on uh, Wu Tang Clan. It's uh. I, I can play like cream without even yep. having to play like the actual version. I found like this instrumental guy who does like the, with, you know, horns and all that good stuff. And I'm playing, he goes, what's that? He goes, dad, come on. Like we, we listen to cream all the time. <laughs> have you guys, have you, they, they were on NPR tiny desk oh. and they, it, no, it's amazing. They, yeah? 
Yeah, yeah, you got to check it out. Will right now. Super good because they have like live strings doing it. It's really like I, I probably watched it ten times because I'm just blown away. Tiny desk rocks. Yeah. I love that. There's also they had a, their own show like they did their own like movie like I guess like yeah recap like a live you know they all talked together they all hung out together in different times and talked about what happened and how things grew and you know who ran what and when everybody left and yeah I nerded out I binged that really hard I don't even know where I watched that again it was prime. I think it's on Netflix now or I'm not sure much if it was Netflix or if it was um, Crave when I had that for a few weeks. Oh, maybe. And then Crave asked for more money, and I'm like, yeah, you're done. <laughs> I wanted to watch Ballers. They wouldn't let me watch Ballers more than, like, season one. I'm like, this sucks. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> cool. I think, so- I, got, I think I got Crave just to see um, Game of Thrones. Is that what Game of Thrones was? I don't know. I never really got into Game of Thrones. I just don't know why. I think that was HBO. That would be That would be Crave. Oh, would it? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. It shows you how much I know. Yeah. Whatever. So what are some of the things you do? You said you spoke, you've, uh, you've gotten, we've gotten, we may have crossed paths back in the day in wax, the wax world. And then you said you've spoken and got some wax off Ron and that's somebody we're going to get on the show here in our new, uh, down the road, not too far down the road. We'll get him on to talk wax and talk history of wax and try to pull as much information from that guy's mind as possible. Man, he's uh he's quite the legend in the uh, ski industry, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, crazy Canuck. <laughs> yep. So, um, what are some of the things you like to do? You said you like to mark out your bench to see how many times you've ridden a board before you wax it. Man, I just wax it every time I go out. I'm like, change it, wax it, done every day. Well, it's do du- it's dual purpose, right? So I can count my days plus. Oh yeah. Ca- count, you know, when when the last wax, but. Yeah, I mean, I'm not super religious around tuning it. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't nerd out. You know, basic wax. Um, you know, I'll, I don't know. I've got like the roto brush thing going, which I picked up last year, which game is changer. amazing. It's yeah. a game changer. Do you have the the uh, cork brush, the cork ro- roller yet? No, I've got the horsehair and oh. the. I've got three. I've got like horsehair, steel hair, and yeah. then like the softer. Um, yeah, nylon. We're gonna have to get you. A, we're gonna have to get you the cork. I got one here. I'll send it to you, dude. The cork changes everything. So once you've done your wax, you've, you've waxed, you've scraped. I always text pad everything, get rid of the edges, right? Yeah. And then I, before I do anything else, I get the cork out, and the amount of wax that that cork roller brings up to the surface, and 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 gets rid of all those imperfections. You take your scraper yet again, scrape off more, and then you get your brush, your your horsehair out, and you either do your straight up and down depending on the weather or your crisscross. And I don't know, it's just the speed is just changed. And then you know you just you're heating up that wax again, right? So it's definitely uh, I'll get I'll get one of huh. those to you as well. There's no problem. Right. There. But we will get you some I, wax. Sports gonna hook you up with some wax. Get you a three pack of uh, their mock wax for snowboards. So that'll make sure we'll make that happen for you as well. Yeah, I'm down. using their mock wax. The the cold one is super good, like super the versatile. The blue, um, the mock two blue, or that's just their green one. No, it's just I think it it was the green one, but I think they changed the color to like a purple this year. Yeah. Not, so. Yeah, they've changed. They're getting all, they're moving into a whole new 
world of wax. We're going to find it out when we talk to Ron. But I've always, uh, when I first got into waxing, I loved their smells. And I used to go and work in the back and I used to go walk. And they just, everything smelled different. It was like a fruity flavor and like banana. Chad, the wax huffer. Oh, yeah. Dude. Well, like, what is it? One Ball J has like yep. Yep. fruity pebble flavored yep. and bacon flavored. Yeah. So Darren should get the bacon flavored wax, right? Yeah, yeah. man. Oh, you've been paying attention. Oh, nice. yeah. Chocolate covered uh, bacon flavor. <laughs> what a nerd <laughs> hey we each have our don't, vices you know don't, don't knock it don't till judge. you try it. can't it's got to be dark chocolate it's got to be sugar-free for this bro oh that's right Ugh, the worst but I, I i i did have a waxing scare friday night um so so i pour myself a beer i'm starting you know i've got all my stuff laid out and sure enough, like I do the first pass of melting the wax along one edge yep. and the cord. So I have this waxing iron that my mom gave know, me I've seen it. 30 years ago. It's pretty badass. And, you know, it, it's traveled the world with me. And um, I don't know, like, so the cord of the, the, the iron knocked over my beer. So all of a sudden I have to like lift everything up and, and you know, what? mop everything off. Oh, no. And so I'm waxing the second board and all of a sudden the iron just like popped and exploded in my hand. Um, so I figured it was dead. You know, I, I, I thought that, you know, it got beer in there, it short circuited and it was done. Um, but sure enough, like Saturday night, I, I flipped the switch on my circuit breaker, turned, you know, it back on and now it, it's working like a charm. So it was a massive scare. I thought I lost this precious piece of my, you know, the, this. I know I've seen that. I love um, that. I, I used to own one like that. I was, I was told to go buy, before I was working for Coosport, I was told to go buy an iron with no holes. So, of course, I'm running around all these thrift shops and, you know, Value Village, whenever the hell that was back in the day. And yeah, I had to find a holeless because the holes can actually cause fire. Like that wax can go in there and you can cause a fire. I'm sure. Yeah. So. Yeah, I was about to offer you a discount on the uh, an iron, but maybe talk to Ron. Oh, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna use that iron until it burns my house well, that's down. Well, that's what I was gonna say. If if, you, if it's done, well, then we'll hook you up, right? But <laughs> later, you fired her back up. But you need to put it in a bag of, of rice so it takes all the right the cell phones. Get it in the water. You yeah. need a bag right in the bag of rice. So you put yours in the bag of rice. It's not funny, Darren. Darren's not getting it. Well, no, I get it, but that works with water, not wax. No, beer. Beer. You got beer. beer. Oh, the beer. Sorry. The beer. Uh, over my head. Stay I apologize. Board, buddy. I think I just woke up halfway through that. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Cool. Yeah, I've enjoyed my wax nerding. It's kind of fun. I got my son kind of thinking the same way. So it's good for him. It's really good. Yeah, I got my daughter out of that. She's a snowboard instructor and and a coach, and she uh, she knows when to get out there and do her own board now. So, yeah, big time. What, Teach them young. Have you uh, have you been involved in any like serious injuries all these years of snowboarding? Anything that you've pulled that re or any avalanches? You ever have any of yeah, that? Yeah, experience? let's get those together. Ooh, uh, let's throw so that let's all see. in one bag. So injuries. Um, I have. I have reoccurring shoulder issues where where my right shoulder will pop out and Ooh. so that start you know it, it first started in a snowboard accident at mount snow in i don't know 1992 or something and um you know it's probably popped out 
I don't know, 20 times, you know, it's probably hanging on by a piece of dental floss at this point. Um, you know, it, it's also popped out surfing, like in the middle of, you know, oh. you know, I'm just getting waves pummeled on my head while my shoulders dangling. So, you know, not fun, no. but, uh, you know, doing exercises, lots of like band type of ex strength exercises just right. to strengthen all of the muscles around the, the shoulder to engage it. Um, but that's the extent. So, you know, nothing, nothing more than that in terms of like avalanches never. Well, yeah. Go I was ahead. Gonna say, Cause I, we have a, a new show sponsor, CBD ingenuity, who's going to give you a roller ball topical to run on that thing. So getting some CBD in there, you should probably do some CBD ingestions as well. Some capsules, Probably help rebuild all that stuff for yourself more than you realize. Give it a shot. It can't yeah. help with the anti-inflammatory uh, side of things. Well, no, that's what that's what I was thinking. That's why I'm like, well, we'll get you yeah. a rollerball. So. Actually, yeah, cool. I just had a long talk with Jeff from CBD Ingenuity, and we were talking about that specifically. Like, uh, If you have any kind of regular inflammation, uh, the application... I mean, and there's a way to go about it. Um, and Jeff could, uh, if you ever wanted to have a talk with him, we could set you guys up and you can have a conversation with him. But there is a way that uh, CBD will actually heal that, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and get rid of that inflammation. Yeah. We're also, he's also offering all of our guests, all of our listeners, a 10% discount on all products uh, from their first sale to all three through using DS10 when you go to cbdingenuity.com. And, um, yeah, it helps the show, and we're you know we're stoked to have those guys on board. It's only in Canada at the time; you can't ship CBD across the country across the borders. So anybody who's Canadian can take advantage of it. We're going to get one to you in Montreal. Try it out, and again, if you want to learn more about it, he's got everything from capsules to CBD gummies. There's no he he hunts for uh, hemp that has no THC, so you're not getting anything like I got my mother hooked up with this stuff because she's got some cancer stuff going on and uh heart issues and they had a chat and uh she's just waiting to get started on it but she's pretty stoked to get that because uh, she did some investigation of how cbd can really help somebody out so that's why i was leaning into that so we'll get you hooked up with a rollerball as well cool yeah i mean the science that's coming out on all of that stuff is pretty amazing you know it's just it seems like each and every week there's something new that they figure out and yeah um more you know, as it get more testing and, and yeah. better refinement. It's, it's yeah. pretty cool. I've enjoyed it with my uh, type 2 diabetes. It helps a lot. Like I'm not getting high. Yeah, last night I had some THC oil, but uh, oh, it was so funny. I took it at 9.30. I'm hanging out with my kid. 11.30 hits. I'm like, why am I fucking high? Oh, yeah. Two hours ago <laughs> I took some oil. <laughs> Oops. Anyways. <laughs> It's just like, man, I got no no pain, no numbingness. It's all good. So, yeah. But, no, I enjoy a lot of the THC. Uh, CBD as well. It helps a lot. I got uh, the sticks. got a, a roll-on stick, and he's got some creams and a lot of uh, oils to take, like ingestibles. And Yeah, it's really good. So, so tell me just a little bit. Tell us a little bit more about your avalanche experience there. You know, if you've had some, none, what you've seen, heard stories. No, I mean, you know, fortunately, I haven't been in, involved with anything serious. Um, you know, like probably most of the scares have just been slough related. So, you know, nothing that would have been of massive consequence. But like I remember once riding in Austria in Albert Obertauen and I hooked an edge in like this couloir. And next thing I know, I'm sliding on my back head first in slough you know, and just trying to self-arrest. 
Um, you know, I guess that would be a frightening moment, but fortunately nothing, nothing happened. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, like I said, I, the other, I guess one scary thing that I did see, and I was just talking about it with some friends of mine is I was down in Tuckerman's a couple of years ago and, you know, Tuckerman's is kind of this, this rite of passage for East coast skiing, um, massive head wall, you know, nice skin in, but really this amphitheater of extraordinary lines. And as we got there and, and got to like the lunch rocks at the bottom, you know, we quickly knew that that wasn't the day that we were going to do anything of, of anything. It was just a frozen cement, oh. uh, ugliness. But sure enough, we look up on the head wall and there's two people trying to ski it. And everyone down below is like, these guys are nuts. Like, this is bulletproof. Oh. And sure enough, the person who was on, you know, higher up was, you know, probably about 20 feet above of the person below. They lost their footing, slid down, took out their partner and this couple, it was it was a husband and wife, just ragdolled down the entire headwall. Oh. Um, so we were the first ones on the scene, and, and you know made sure that they weren't concussed and that you know everything was was okay. You know, fortunately they they were fine. And sure enough, one of like the North Conway uh, Alpine groups was up in like the i don't know right gully or left gully and they actually caught it on their iphone and it made Ooh. the rounds so if you if you go onto youtube and google like or or search you know couple falling down tuckermans it's got like millions and millions of views um you know fortunately you know like it, it's great because they were fine they were they were shaken up a bit no injuries but man you got to know when not to send it. And, and these two just didn't, they, I don't know what they were thinking, but it was, it was frightening. Yeah. But it doesn't take, it doesn't take much. It's like, it doesn't take much. No. Split second can change everything Can change everything. And, and, and so. the problem with touring skiing or snowboarding is that you've taken so much of your day to get up the mountain. You know, 80% of your day is spent going up. And to just be like, eh, we're going to go way over there. We're going to, you know, traverse a bit and we're going to take something else because it looks a little bit safer. Opposed to like, ah, eh, fuck it, let's just do it. And then that could be a change your life. You'd be dead or you're injured forever. Like there's, there's a balance that needs to happen. Well, yeah. decisions, decisions out in the backcountry have to be weighed amongst the group for sure and, and have to be made uh, carefully, right? You got to consider what you're you're going to get into and whether or not it's worth it or not. You know, the reality is the mountain always wins. <laughs> That's for sure. So, well put, you know, well put. Sometimes, sometimes you just have to back down and, and you know, you, you eat your trail mix on the rocks and you just enjoy what you've got and you call it a day. And yeah. you know, that does, that doesn't suck. You know, no. it, it's, it's a beautiful moment and it's a different type of moment that what your original objective was, but you know, that's part of growing up and understanding like life doesn't always happen according to plan. So you just deal with it. Yeah, absolutely. There's no question. 
No question. So what's, what's in the future for you? Future for me is... Um, Iceland. Certainly Iceland. <laughs> um, you know, once, once travel gets back up, spending more time with the European team... Um, you know, I've, I've been this, this armchair quarterback from my kitchen table, you know, with our offices closed. Uh, so it'll be just great to, to work with people face to face again. Um, you know, I get energized by, by interacting with people and, you know, I love generating fresh ideas and and brainstorming and so much of it is, is just human interaction. So You know, I'm just excited for that. And, um, you know, the number one thing is just to keep having fun. So, you know, life, life is too short to sit on the couch and life is too short to be miserable. So, um, yeah, that's why I'm taking this time right now. Actually, this, this is like, you know, the weather's not the greatest. Um, I can, I'm going to get out more here as things, things change, but even through this whole COVID thing built this we've built this environment this new podcast and it's going to grow there's a lot more to it the uh the listeners and guests are just they're just this is just the crust we're just getting started we got lots of ideas you know talking to people like yourself um some of the other guests that we've had in the past like scott martin he always he's got a um, clubhouse thing going on and man the inspiration that comes out of those groups those three-hour conversations i end up recording them because i'm like i got other shit to do i gotta do something else so <laughs> i'll come back to this later and then i'll actually like send the folder to, to scott i'm like here you can listen to this you, you know i'm sure you said some things you wish you could like write down so now you can write it down because i'm like i'm writing tons of stuff this is so much to do but there's a the world is becoming a lot smaller but it's still huge and i find that people are sharing a lot of more information that you'd normally pay thousands of dollars for and if you reach out to the right person make the right connection they'll help and they'll help build your brand. And, you know, at the end of the day, like I told Scott today, I was like, man, I'm looking forward to being able to spend the money to actually have you come on board and actually tailor this whole system I got going on. I've been listening to all of his podcasts, is the Groundswell Marketing Podcast and his guests and all that stuff. But there's something, like you said, there's something different when I can sit face to face and we can have dinner, have drinks and, and actually talk about what and look at pictures and look at writings and numbers and that changes everything. Totally. You know, and, and, you know, like we said before is, you know, in terms of like avalanche awareness is, you know, the more you learn, the more you realize you don't really know a whole lot. Yeah. You know, what you realize now is there's so much information at our fingertips. Um, it's all out there, you know, and you, you you just need to stay curious and, and keep searching. And, And, you know, I think too, with, with the growing, interest in in touring and split boarding you know you guys are 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 on to something in that you know you're being inclusive to people who are just discovering it um that's what we are we're the same way ourselves so yeah so that's it and you know i think i the advice that i would have is don't forget what what got you inspired in the first place and that's you know try to ride as much as possible because yeah. you know that's 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 the one thing is, is as stressful as work can be you know you strap in and you slide on snow and all of a sudden you're like all right it all makes sense again yeah. life is good yeah well that's right. like right that's it yeah. you know and the, the whole premise behind this thing i'm sure everybody's heard it already but you know 
I asked Aaron to go riding. He said no. And I didn't go, oh, you pussy, we should go anyways. I was like... Yeah, you did. No, I didn't. <laughs> I said, if this is happening here, this is happening all over the world. Let's make a podcast. And Darren's like, we don't know what to say. And I'm like, that's the beauty of the podcast world. We will find the people that do. And it will teach yep. us and we will share it with the world. And man, well, we've really enjoyed this conversation. This has been fantastic, man. Like, I loved getting to know you even more. I know we've had quite a, few, quite a bit of conversation since November, but this has been, uh, yeah, you're super rad. I'm stoked that you yeah. have uh, come on board with I, Smartwool. I can't believe we've been talking for like two hours. It seems like it's been 15 minutes. It's super good. I enjoyed it. That's the magic of the Darren and Chad show. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. It's been awesome, Corey. Thanks for joining us, man. Big time. So My pleasure. How can people find you? How can people like look up um, uh, Smartwool? And again, you know, Smartwool is offering everybody North American worldwide, a 10% discount on code on product. <clears throat> if you use the code DS10 and uh, audience, let's like buy a boatload of their stuff so that they give us a sock coming. Cause he told me I have to have Joe Rogan numbers, but I'm like, no dude, the audience <laughs> can make it happen. We can all have some dark start socks, but yeah. So how can people find you find uh, smart wool and where's the best place to uh, get connected? Yeah, you go to smartwool.com. You can find Smartwool uh, on Instagram and Facebook. Um, Smartwool Europe also on Instagram. Um, yeah, so smartwool.com is really the epicenter of, of, of everything Smartwool related. So from, from athlete stories to product innovations, you know, tons of good information there. And then, you know, Instagram is, is really kind of, ground zero for for social storytelling so lots of good content and then yourself how do people find you uh instagram so Corey stecker or c stecker s-e-e-s-t-e-c-k-e-r nice um so hopefully my my followers will balloon after this podcast it'll take a little while maybe a little bit it definitely Uh, been the uh yeah you'll get some it, it usually happens the crazy thing you know we've had guests tell us that Months after the fact that they've done their episode, it's been aired, and they're like, people have heard me, my voice in the lift line, and they spotted, they, they're like, hey, you're in the Dark Horse podcast, and that buddy is like, he was just like blown away. Dave Weird. Carrera from- uh, As were Golden, we. Golden Potter, <laughs> right. Well, that happened when I called Fernie Brewery. The guy's like, yeah, I listened to the show, and I'm like, this just happened. Yeah, Dave. <laughs> Dave Dave's an ambassador for our, our store in Banff. Yeah. So, uh, he's, he's rocking Smartwool. Super good guy. Yeah, he just got hooked up with Jones thanks to uh, Dark Starts podcast. Oh, amazing! You didn't know that, Darren? No, that's because you work a full time job. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Way to go, Dave! Yeah, dude. Way to go, Jones! Fucking right. We're happy to make those Another kind of connections. Dark Start. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again. And we definitely look forward to getting some content in a hut, the recording in a hut with twenty awesome the people. Wheeler Hut. Yeah, that's it. Ten four. I'll bring the It'll tequila. Perfect. <laughs> Dude. All right, Corey. Thanks, man. Take care. Take care, guys. Thanks a lot. Peace. Bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening, and a special thanks to Corey for taking the time to talk with us. As always, you can learn more about Corey in the show notes. If you're loving the podcast, be sure to follow us on Instagram at darkstarts.podcast, and be sure to share, review, and hit that subscribe button. Be sure to tune back for our next episode where we talk with Chandler Kane, owner and guide at Stealth Backcountry, 
based in Japan. In the meantime, go back and give a listen to our episode with Jeremy Jensen of Grassroots Pow Surf. Jeremy's been making the raddest pow surfers on the planet since 2007. As always, Chad and I would love to give a special shout out to Monica and Pat for helping to make all of this happen. Be safe out there, everybody. Peace.